Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the People You Meet podcast. I'm Richard White, and thanks for tuning in. For episode 11, we meet Curtis Patterson, a chef and father who has one heck of a story you don't want to miss. His journey has taken him all over the country through serious highs and lows. With that being said, I hope you enjoy. So my first question, in your own words, who is Curtis Patterson? That's the first time that's been asked of me. I am truly a child of God. I am uh, sort of a person that looks to do better and greater, move forward, and prosper. Uh, It's the way God intended for a man to prosper and do the best that I possibly can and treat others the way I would like to be treated and even treat others that are treating me falsely or bad the way God intends me to treat them. And even in most cases, if I can't make peace with them, I still pray for them and move on. Uh, Curtis Patterson is a lover, not a fighter. I look for the best of people. I always try to encourage folks. If I see someone without a smile, I'll give them mine. And I raised children on that same principle. And God is truly blessing me right now. Curtis was born in Cleveland, Ohio. His mother died when he was three years old, and before they could go into foster care, he moved to New Orleans to live with his aunt when he was four. She adopted the youngest three of his seven siblings. In straight New Orleans, <laughs> since the age of four, up until Katrina. That's where I'm from. So I consider myself New Orleans. I bleed black and gold, baby. At 56 years old, there are still some things that Curtis never got to experience as a child, And as an adult, there are some things he'll never forget. I grew up not knowing the importance or even being able to enjoy or take part in what they call Mother's Day or Father's Day because I never knew my father. Don't know him to this day. Never met him. Didn't have a mother. I had an aunt that had, had to have something against my mother because she putting it kindly was very abusive mostly physically abusive but definitely verbally abusive and if I didn't think that that even at that age I knew the difference between right and wrong and I knew what the way she beat us and whipped us I mean I thought my name was Dirty Bastard. She never called me Curtis by my name. I was always a Dirty Bastard. I don't know why she showed us so much hate. She's dead now, but I I had to forgive her after I became a man to be free of that. But it was, um, people ask me that question, I say I came up unnecessarily hard because it wasn't necessary for her to treat us the way she did. But she did. I don't hold any grudges because I still believe now and it's been revealed to me that even then, 
I'm still here and God was with me at that time. The old saying about what doesn't kill you make you stronger, I'm living proof and true witness to that. Unbeknownst to him, when he was about eight or nine years old, his next door neighbor, Annette Washington, would spark an interest in him that would become a lifelong passion. I used to sit in there because I never wanted to be around in my house because I would get beat or spanked. If the day, if the sun was up, I tried to be out of the house and out of the way because I'd do something to get whipped. So I just hung out in the streets until before the sun came down, I had to be inside. And I was hanging out by her, her house next door and her son was my best friend. His name was Thomas Washington. She showed me some things that she was cooking and I was always interested and she showed me how to do certain things. I'm still in my mind trying to do what she showed me called crawfish bisque. It just was so fascinating and I was like 11 and 12 years old when she was showing me this. And I tried different things in the house to try to, she would let me do it and and I just liked the time that she took to show me the little stuff that she she showed me. I didn't know that one day that was going to be my passion because I got off into uh, retail and sales and management and supervisory positions of different stores, but my passion has always been cooking and doing the things that, that Miss Washington showed me when I was a kid. Curtis enjoys providing food that people want, like, and smile about. All things he loves and appreciates. Unfortunately, every day isn't always like that. When me and Curtis met up for this interview, he just got done wrapping up some important family matters. I'm going to make this short and sweet. Short and simple, rather. I just left the courthouse this morning finalizing my divorce from her after 22 years. Praise God, I'm done. I've made it. And I'm still here. Curtis has four daughters and has bittersweet memories of being in New Orleans when Katrina made landfall. The day the storm hit, his daughter was celebrating her 10th birthday. But days before that, something overcame his wife. Whether you call it a premonition, vision, inkling, or conscience, something was happening. My wife has this sixth sense. It wasn't even in the Gulf. The storm wasn't even in the Gulf. And me and my wife were sitting on the sofa, talking, just having a conversation, and her mother was there, and we were just sitting there talking. Then all of a sudden, she gets this, this, this desperate, crazy, horrified look on her face. Just, and I'm like, what's wrong? They was, she was like, wait a minute. And I'm like, why, what's going on? You know, cause we weren't even talking. She sees jumped up, and I say, where are you going? What's going on? And she was like, something, something's bad. Something, something's bad is happening. Something bad is happening. I'm like, well, what? I don't, she don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I'm like, what are you talking about? So she's ran up the stairs. I'm running behind her. What are you doing? She's frantically running through the house, and she's asking for the baby. Where's the baby? And we got the baby. And she was like, where's her other daughter? Where's... Where's my other daughter? And I said, well, she's up the street. She went to visit a friend. She went and called her. I'm like, what's going on? She didn't know what to tell her. But she had to make sure her children were all right. She just had a bad feeling that something was happening. And I'm like, 
what's going on? And her mother looked at me and said, I'm sorry, baby. And I was like, you sorry about what? She said, she got the same thing I got. We get that sense of, of things. And I was like, really? She said, we, we gonna find out, wait a minute, just something's happening. And I'm like, okay. So I'm following my wife up the street. She goes and get her daughter and checks her out and you okay, baby? And touching her face and daughter smiling, laughing, yeah. Goes back inside with her friend and I'm walking back and she's walking up the street with this disturbed look on her. I'm like, mate, tell me. She said, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I was like, come on, babe, you gotta do better than that. Tell me what's... And later on that evening, she said, we gotta pack this stuff. I say, pack? Pack what? She's taking our marriage certificates, our birth certificates, all important papers out of, cause we kept all important papers in uh, a, what do they call that? An album where you keep pictures and stuff. That's what we kept. She was taking all of that out, putting it in Ziploc bags and putting it in a sack. What are you doing that for? She say, I just, I just, she just felt that she needed to put our papers, important papers in Ziploc bags. It wasn't raining. There wasn't no storm in the Gulf. Matter of fact, it was just a tropical storm. I remember watching a football game and it was raining and it was in Miami. I don't know who the Dolphins were playing that Monday night. And it was, they played in the rain. And that was just the rain that was a part of Katrina. But it was a tropical storm crossing the foot of Miami at the time. And I wasn't thinking nothing about it. And the next day, she felt stronger about it. So she was, we just packing stuff. And I was like, man, this woman's crazy. I kind of... Well, anyway, we were looking at the news. And that tropical storm that crossed through Miami that night that I was watching, that next Tuesday... It was in the Gulf. And now that tropical storm was gathering up speed. Then it started turning and getting up more speed. And that's when she dropped her jaw. When we were looking at the news, she said, there it is. I say, there what is? She said, that storm is coming. She predicted it before it was even a hurricane. That made... <laughs> That elevated my faith even more going through that. And if and I never tell anybody this story just because I know that people wouldn't believe it. But that I promise you that's what happened. During evacuations, Curtis and his family made their way to a hotel. And as the water got higher, they were forced to go on the roof. I was the one greeting the soldiers when the helicopter landed on the roof. I was in charge of all those 140 some more people. Some were sick, some were lame, needed to be fed. I don't want to relive it because I'll start crying, but even then I was rehearsing because I was on the praise and worship team at my church at Greater St. Stephen's and we was rehearsing that week a song I was supposed to lead sing 
and I was going to lead sing it that weekend, but I didn't get to sing it, but I sung it to the people as I was pulling them through that hole on the roof and smiling, even though we were, they thought I was crazy. And the song goes, makes no difference what you're going through. You're going to make it. God's going to see you through. So hold your head up. Keep a smile on your face. This is another test, but it won't last always. So get ready, get ready for your blessing, your blessing. Get ready, get ready for your miracle. So get ready. And I was singing that over and over and over as I was pulling those people up through that hole in the roof, getting them situated on the roof. And it kind of saved some people in shock. I remember this one woman saying, what is wrong? Are you crazy? What are you smiling about? I was like, it's just a test, baby. It's just a test. And even though I was trying to do that to encourage them, those words was encouraging me as well. Little did I know that I found out later that the stress of being up there on that roof for three days brought on a lot of illnesses that I didn't know at the time, but the doctors told me that I now have kidney failure, high blood pressure, renal failure, stuff that I wasn't taking a pill for or even being bothered with before Katrina. And so I've been on dialysis three days a week for the last seven, eight, seven years and eight months to this day. And I still can't be discouraged. I am still encouraged because it's brought me even closer to God and my faith because I'm at the point now and I told God, I say, God, if you leave me here, I'm going to proclaim your name throughout the land, that you are God, and you are God alone. Once they were rescued from the roof, the helicopter flew them to Kenner, Louisiana, and dropped them off under an overpass. And we was out there in all of our fecal, I can't tell you the stench, I, the stench on me, I couldn't even stand myself the way I smelled. And it, it was just, it was just, it was just unbearable and people shoving and pushing with those buses coming up. And you couldn't get on there and say, well, where y'all going? Well, where are you going? Everybody was rushing, trying to get on the bus to get the hell out of there. So if there was a seat on the bus, no matter where the bus was going, you know it would have to be a better place than there. So we got on the bus. We didn't care where it was going. Well, anyway, when we finally got on the bus, oh my God, Please open these windows, man. I couldn't stand the smell myself, much less everybody else. And uh, it's kind of hard to keep your manhood and your dignity when you're in a totally helpless situation. But we rode and the bus just pulled off. We didn't know where we were going. We found out later they was taking us to Houston. We're like, okay. So we got here and it was in the Astrodome. And uh, 
was very appreciative of that because I got out of there with the clothes on my back. The shoes that I chose to wear that day, because I thought I was just going to be gone for a few days and going back home. It was the shoes that I usually put on when I wash my car and stuff and clean the yard. So it was my raggedy shoes. So those shoes didn't last. <laughs> my, my feet are size 14s, and they, I couldn't find any 14s. They was giving out shoes at the Astrodomes. I found a size 12, and I walked on the back of those <laughs> so I can have some shoes on my feet. And I found some old jean shorts and a couple of t-shirts. I had to take all that filthy stuff off. They let us take showers, and I couldn't put that stuff back on what I had. And that, that, that was it. That's all I had. They were in the Astrodome for at least five days. While waiting for housing, the people of Houston stepped up in a major way and helped him land a spot he'd never thought he'd be. Houston has been... Thank you, Houston. All I can say is thank you. I have a great love for Houston. I have a great love for the people of Houston. They fed me. They clothed me. They helped me with shelter. They were there for me in my time of need. And I can't say thank you enough to the people of Houston. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I love these people in Houston. It's not home, but they've, made, they've eased the pain. My last name is Patterson. And five days later when they were dealing dealing with uh, finding uh, shelter, uh, homes for the people, they were just on G. They're going alphabetical. And it was five days later and they was on G. And I say, man, I'm on P. How long, many days? And so they busted my kids in from schools that they were going to school here back to uh, the Astrodome. And we sleeping on the floor. At that time, I was 60 pounds heavier than I am now. So right now, I'm 250, and I was 60 pounds heavier. So the cots they were giving me weren't strong enough to hold me. They were just bending and going to the floor. So I was literally on the floor. <laughs> but anyway, I just got up. I had to do something. Man, if you you know you got your family there, and you a man, you're not just gonna sit there and just watch your family suffer. You're gonna get up, you're gonna move, you're gonna talk, you're gonna say, you're gonna do something. You got to get busy. So I wanted to go and see about housing. Well, that they wouldn't let me in. I, my letter is P, and they were on G. I snuck around the back of the building, and they had this this female army national guard guarding the back door. I ain't gonna say a name. I don't know a name, but I hope I don't get in trouble. But I talked to her and told her my situation, and and I just 
I don't have my whole family, just me. Just let me go take a look. I just want to look. So she let me in the door. She just let me in. I know she wasn't supposed to, but she did. And I went through the back door, and I'm looking at all these people in all these lines. And I'm looking at the the table. They set up in the tables, and they had these little poster boards in front of the table, taped to the front of the table, the city that they were from. And everybody's in the lines. And they had this one girl little blonde haired white girl had Colorado Springs on the front of her on her poster in the front of her ain't nobody was in that line now I'm pretty sure I know why I mean we from the south ain't nobody want to deal with the cold but at the time I sold timeshares in New Orleans I knew about Colorado Springs it's a resort town and then my people wasn't hearing that, I guess. So I went over to her, and she asked me to sit down. She was surprised that anybody I came up. She opened her computer. She turned her computer around and showed me a news feed that there were some people from uh, Katrina that they had helped already. They had a little a video, a little news video that they even got the person a vehicle and a home and furniture. And we can do the same for you. I was like, I'm there. <laughs> and uh, she gave me all the exchange information and all that. I just need to go get my family. I say my daughter, my children in school, they'll be back here when the buses bring them back. You know, as a matter of fact, their bus was ready to go. And my child was the last one on the bus going to Colorado Springs from the Astrodome because he was waiting for her to get out of school and they bring her and drop her off. Well, he ran and got on the bus. And that's where we ended up in Colorado Springs. Including the dog, 11 of them evacuated New Orleans, but only four of them made the bus trip to Colorado Springs. They lived there for three years, and in his words, Colorado was... It was an, ex- it was an experience, an eye-opening experience on, on several different levels. But to keep it nicely, I'll just say Colorado wasn't for me. Was not for me. After getting settled, it was time to work. With his sales background, Curtis got a job as a new car salesman, then went on to work for Walmart where he was hired on as an assistant manager. He was proud to go on to work every day and worked until he couldn't work anymore. His health began to fail, so they moved back to Houston to be near family. But their second stint in Houston was still a challenge. Dealing with dialysis, you know, diabetes, neuropathy in my feet, and the high blood pressure, and getting those medicines just right, uh, learning how to live with all of that stuff. And then I lost my car in the flood in 2015, so I haven't been mobile to get around or see anything. So, no, I I really can't tell you about Houston because I haven't experienced it the way most people would have. About two months ago, Curtis started setting up a food stand in Midtown. To help supplement his income, he sells authentic New Orleans cuisines. He's not trying to get rich. He just wants to be the best. There's nothing that this earth can give me that will make me, that I aspire to do. There's nothing. I'm that far off in my spirit, man, that, put it like this, I don't want to, to die. I mean, everybody wants to have long life. I just want to make sure that I live my life that's pleasing to God. Whatever life that is, I want to be led by Him. At any point of his life, Curtis could have given up and checked out. 
but he continued to press forward, hoping for better days. Well, I made up in my mind. And I, am I going to be... I made up in my mind, if I'm going to be sick in my body, I'm not going to be miserable in my mind. If I'm going to be sick and miserable, that's no kind of life. That's no kind of life. So if I'm going to be sick and I'm gonna, it's going to take me out, it's going to take me out fighting. I'm going to live, I'm going to do things, I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to do to have a, 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 a fun-filled and notable life and leave a legacy, at least for my grandsons. Ladies and gentlemen, Curtis Patterson. If you're interested in trying his food, he's on the corner of Smith and Hadley in Houston, Texas from Thursday through Saturday, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. or whenever he runs out of food. I had the gumbo, and yes, it is the truth. Last thing, Curtis is considering a move out east. He has a few grandchildren he'd love to be closer to. Our music is by Mark Henry Beats, and our image is by Evan White. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at TPYMPod, on Instagram at The People You Meet Pod, and The People You Meet Podcast on Facebook. If you like this episode or any others, be sure to leave a five-star review and tell a friend. We can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. I'm your host, Richard White, and thank you for listening. And until next time, be safe and be great.